When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What does the cosmos have to do with my faith in Christ? Come and see on this episode of Good Heavens. Well, good heavens, Wayne, I have a confession to make to you and the listeners. Okay, what's that, Dan? I made it seem like it's next week, but really, Wayne, it's not next week because it's the same night. <laughs> we recorded part one. <laughs> we just stopped it. Doing, it, and, doing uh, them together here. Doing them together on the same night. So for you and I, time has not uh, advanced into the future, but for our listeners... That's weird how recording and time works. <laughs> anyway, this is not really next week. This is this is the same night Wayne and I are recording, but it's next week for you. Yeah, we're so, talking about worlds that are out of out of this world, unlike our our own world. So time can right. be different, I guess. Right. So uh, I guess I thought I would say all that to just say how strange it is sometimes to think about. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Never mind. Anyway, it is next week for you. We're glad you're here with us uh, on Good Heavens. Uh, Wayne and I are running through these uh, exoplanets. There's so much to talk about that uh, we thought it would be best to uh, break it up into two episodes. And so that's what we're doing. Um, but we are recording all of this at, at the same time. But uh, thanks for joining us. Here we go. Wayne, we're going to talk about a, uh, you know, there's the, the people talk about the megalodon shark, like the most giantest shark that has ever lived. And I guess there's evidence that it, there was megalodons. They've got teeth or something. This, these huge, I guess they're prehistoric. But nobody's ever seen one in real life. But these megalodon sharks, these massive shark things. Well, we, we've got this sort of the megalodon version of Saturn. You think Saturn is big and pretty. You know, it's, it's several times larger than the Earth, of course, but uh, with its beautiful rings. And it's a fun, one of my first things I saw in my telescope. But we're going to be talking about an exoplanet uh, today that's... Uh, it just it's got it's it's a huge it's a Saturn on steroids. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, I, but let's let's uh, save that for last. We'll save that for last because the first one we're going to talk about is it's a really 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 black dark planet, which makes me wonder how in the world did they even find it? You know, as dark as it is, but this planet it is it is the coolest thing ever. Because it may not be cool. It's probably really hot. But uh, when you sent this to me, I was. I was uh, amazed by the uh, by what it was. It's called the darkest 
exoplanets. And what a fitting constellation to find it in. That's right. Uh, it's in the constellation of Draco the dragon, which is uh, purportedly uh, one of those antagonistically hostile to mankind kind of figures in the sky. So here in the constellation of Draco the dragon is a planet that uh, Draco could have barbecued with his breath. It just seems like it's a piece of coal um, that uh, barely gives off any light. Wayne, so I'll let you kind of talk about the science of this. Um, it's called Tress 2B. Yes, so uh, this is detected with um, a transit measurement, and it's um, but it's probably been studied by multiple teams, you know, with different ways. Um, so it's super dark, and it's so dark that scientists are having trouble explaining it. Um, so here, let me read a quote from some scientists here. They said, TRES-2B is considerably less reflective than black acrylic paint. So it's truly an alien world, said David Kipling of the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Um, so uh, it's darker than really black coal, Dan. Hmm. And uh, so it's um, – they're not sure um, what makes it so dark. Something has to be in the atmosphere of this that uh, absorbs light a lot. Maybe it's just a – It does have a real faint red glow. So it's it's very hot. And so it's really – it's so hot that it's sort of glowing. A little. And it's almost like the coils of an electric stove, they said. But yet it's completely pitch black. So to, to give a perspective, coal, earthbound coal, absorbs 95% of the light that comes to it. This planet reflects 99.9% of the light that it, uh, that it absorbs. And uh, this is truly a dark world. Now, maybe, maybe it's a coal planet. Maybe we found our energy source for the next billion years. <laughs> a planet filled with coal. Can we mine it, Wayne, if it's coal? If it's a... Uh, pro no, I don't <laughs> think so. 750 uh, light years away. I, I, there would have to be some material, some gas or something that would uh, uh, turn black at high temperature. Hmm. Uh, like some they've they've speculated maybe it could be gaseous titanium oxide for example Ooh. or vaporized sodium and potassium maybe i don't know uh but uh something some gases that would be common in an exoplanet atmosphere might be like carbon monoxide or ammonia uh methane hydrogen um those things uh, can't be there. I mean, it's just way too hot for those because if those kind of gases were there, they would be driven away mm -hmm. because it's so hot. So uh, it it could be vaporizing some kind of metal or something that is making the atmosphere black. Mm. We don't know. So it's it's a they, they're calling it a dark hot. Jupiters, because when they say hot Jupiters, when they, a lot of them talk about you know hot Jupiters or whatever, and sometimes the Jupiter 
nomenclature means it's um, it's it could be bigger than Jupiter, or it could be smaller than Jupiter, but roughly the same size. A gas giant. It's um, one point one nine nine Jupiter masses and one point two seven Jupiter radius. So it's just slightly bigger than yeah. That's not too Jupiter. much different um, size. The temperature they believe is oh my gosh. 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, 1,100 degrees Celsius, uh, discovered on the 26th of August, uh, or 21st of August in 2006, confirmed September 8, 2006. And as you just said, it was uh, discovered by transit. That means that as it passed in front of the starlight, its, uh, its darkness dimmed the star a little bit and showed up as a dip on the, uh, the Kepler telescope, I believe, or however they found it. And um, so this is just a little bit bigger than Jupiter, and its darkness is a complete mystery. It radiates something, like you said, something along the lines of uh, stove coils, which is a good uh, a good visual. Um, and we'll put a link in the description about this thing if you're interested uh, to find out more about it. Um, a fascinating world. And, and you know, we, we mentioned some scripture at the beginning of part one where, you know, God created all of these things. And so, Wayne, I, I, I mean, I know it, there's no sign on the planet that says, here's what this tells me. But um, what? You know, Dan, this reminds me of something in Scripture. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what, do you, is. what does this bring to mind? There, it, it's, it's describing God, and it says, darkness is as light to you. Psalm 139. <laughs> Psalm 139. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me. Yeah, that, that was that, funny you mentioned that. Um we think of darkness as kind of a picture of something bad, but it's not always necessarily. It's just something God we, made. We generally have this general understanding that uh, that darkness is um, associated with evil and light is associated with true, and that's certainly true in the Bible. There is a lot of that. Um, but but in the case of what um, David says, that, that the reference that you just made, David says in Psalm 139, and this the whole psalm is David thinking about how God thinks of him. It's kind of a longer take on Psalm 8. You know what Psalm 8 is. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him. And Psalm 139 is a little bit more detailed, where David is uh, extolling how well and how intimately God knows us. So, in verse 11 is, is the verse that you're bringing up. It says, if I say, and this is David speaking, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. So you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give you thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully Made wonderful are your works, and it's just like Psalm eight a little bit, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. So that's the passage. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It uh, reminds us that God knows us, and even when things seem dark to us, um, it is it is light to God. And it uh, it's encouraging, you know. I mean, it, it's just it's wonderful. Our perspectives are oftentimes dark about ourselves, you know, about what's going on in the world. But uh, 
God is in charge and sovereign over everything and knows right where we are and has made us. You know, we're talking about these wonderful worlds of exoplanets where there is no life. But, uh, you know, the crown of his creation is, is human beings. Jesus, God didn't, when he came uh, down into our universe, God didn't become a planet. He became a person. <laughs> you know, I mean, he he uh, he became one of us. And uh, so the one who the one who broke bread with the disciples and made breakfast for the disciples after his resurrection on the beach in uh, John 21, those fingers that made that food are the same fingers that fashioned this wonderful exoplanet and many thousands more, millions more like them, billions more like them probably. Just wonderful to consider, I think, yeah. Right, so this was, uh, uh, there's something unusual about what it's made of, I think, to, to do this. And scientists will be pondering that for some time, I think. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, what is this? Uh, find out, and uh, you know, if you've got uh, sons or daughters interested in astronomy, uh, you may be looking at uh, one of them may end up uh, solving the mysteries of some of these wonderful things. Plenty of mysteries to explore, plenty of mysteries to be solved. And uh, you know what's interesting, Wayne? A little side note here about solving mysteries in astronomy. You know, science is predicated upon the idea, and you know this, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything you don't know, but uh, science is predicated upon the idea that things have a cause, Yeah. right? I mean, you, you wouldn't investigate the universe and say, well, why is this? And you dig and you find out and see what caused this, right? So this is a very common reason for why we do science, figuring out why things are the way they are in the physical world. But as we've talked about in the past, there's a lot of mathematics and science that, that say now that the universe, though it had a beginning, the universe was uncaused. There's no cause to the universe. Yeah, I it was just, some kind of I just can't accept quantum. that. It, no, it, it's it's a. Uh, it's it's interesting because, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but they'll they'll say that, well, what caused this planet to be black or dark, or what caused this planet to have all these rings, or what caused this star to be blue, or why did that star blow up? And there's the universe is filled with causes, but when you get down to the quantum level, the physicists will tell you that, that things are counterintuitive and it doesn't look like things have causes at the the levels of the very small, and so they'll say the universe was once a quantum particle, which is hard to believe in and of itself, um, but that quantum particle, because it's quantum, didn't have a cause. It just popped into existence. But to me, even if you say uh, the universe came into being through a quantum fluctuation out of nothing or something, you still are saying, whether directly or indirectly, that, that in order for our universe to be here, we needed a quantum field. There is always a cause of something. It's, it's just, even as counterintuitive as quantum mechanics is, there's still a cause for why the universe. Yeah, well, I, I would also think that uh, the limitations at the quantum level is a limitation on us. That's correct. Not necessarily a limitation on God. Exactly. I mean, God could certainly have done that if he wanted to. I'm not saying it's impossible or whatever, but... But the point of the, the my point here is that science is always investigating why, 
right? Why yeah. this? Why that? Why this? What caused that? What caused this? Mm-hmm. So it's funny that the universe is filled with all these things, investigations that are built on assumptions that something caused something else. But when you go all the way back to the beginning, scientists just throw up their hands and say the universe was not all physicists. I don't think everybody accepts this model, but some just throw up their hands and say, well, it's it's an uncaused it's an uncaused beginning because of quantum mechanics or whatever. But if they really believe that, Wayne, if physicists really believe the universe had an uncaused beginning, then then stop trying to figure out <laughs> why the beginning was the way it is. I mean, you're still looking for a reason for why quantum mechanics, right? You're still investigating the physical world as though there is causation yet to be discovered. And I don't think anybody who knows quantum mechanics is satisfied with the state of affairs right now. There's more to it. But I like what you said. It's a limitation on our knowledge. It has no bearing on God's existence or what God does. That's that's yes. that's the point. Because so many times in so many discussions with people, it can be intimidating to 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 try to have a especially if you're if you believe in Jesus and you believe God created the universe. It's becoming increasingly difficult, uh, even intimidating for people to speak up and to say, well, I believe God created the universe without getting completely mocked or made fun of or called a science denier or whatever. Or use the right. word creationist like a swear word. You know, it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to have civil conversations with people about the universe, what it's made of, where it came from, and to say ultimately that God did it all for his glory is inviting more and more ridicule today. I I think it's just being honest. I think it's just being honest about the limits of science. Right. And the, the, and our limits. Exactly. Um, so there's, and it's wonderful. I think, I think it's perfectly fantastic that we find something and then we don't immediately, or even over the course of years, we don't figure out why it is the way it is. I, I love that about the universe. It's fun to consider things and not know why they are the way they are, you know. And and just by yes. saying that, that, that we know that God is ultimately behind it all doesn't ruin or take away the joy of discovering and investigating these things. Right. And um, um, we're not also, we're also not saying, and I've been accused of this many times, by saying that God did it, we're not replacing a physical explanation. We're not replacing science. We're not ignoring science. We're not... Uh, saying God of the gaps, you know, we don't we don't know, therefore God. That's not what we're saying. That you could find a physical explanation for this super dark planet, and it doesn't rule out God at all. Right. It's just right. the difference between a mechanical and a personal explanation to me. You know, it's like why is this coffee on the table? Well, I could explain the science of coffee makers, right? But I could also say I made it. It's a perfectly legitimate explanation that uh, doesn't do away with the mechanical explanation of coffee makers. And the coffee maker doesn't do away with the personal explanation that I made it, right? And so that's kind of how we look at this. So we can say this planet is unknown and mysterious and wonderful and huge and dark and hot and distant and in the constellation of Draco, and we could find out all the science we can. But in the end, it ultimately exists because Jesus created it the way he did, you know, so... I don't know. I just a little aside there about astronomy. We don't. We want to encourage our listeners to be civil, respectful, but yet encourage them and give them wisdom to be able to 
dialogue intelligently and respectfully about these things in the universe. Because you and I, Wayne, we agree about this idea that uh, with all due respect to science, there's a lot of things that are contrary to what Scripture tells us about the universe. Yes. So we have our limits, but we still uh, make our discoveries as a place for science. Absolutely. A place, place for understanding its limits. We are not anti-science, um, but we do understand that sometimes scientists, and they're free to do so, make philosophical, religious, metaphysical interpretations of what they're looking at. Sure they do. Yeah. I was in a, a group of atheists a couple uh, last month. We were talking about a book, and we were talking about fine-tuning. And I was the only Christian in the room, and and uh, it's it's a good bunch of guys. I enjoy it. We have dinner at La Madeleine's, and we talk about a, a, a book, and uh, I was leading a discussion. And some of them, some of the people at the table said, you know, we don't need to explain the fine-tuning numbers. We don't have to explain why the numbers are the way they are. We don't have to explain them. And my point to them was, I said, well, okay, I, I respect that interpretation that these don't require an explanation, but let's let's agree that the numbers themselves, whatever they might be, the mass of the electron or the speed of light or whatever, the numbers themselves don't tell you that they don't need an explanation. That's what you think. That is not what the numbers say. That's not a scientific conclusion that we don't need to explain them. It's like Bertrand Russell 100 years ago in his debate um, uh, about the universe. He said that the universe just is. Well, the universe didn't tell him that. That's not a scientific conclusion. I mean, it certainly does exist. We can agree with him that it exists, but the universe isn't telling you that it doesn't need to be interpreted. Um, and that 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 idea uh, that that we are interpreters. I think the universe is like a parable, Wayne. It draws out of us what we what is already in us. So somebody looks at the universe and says, "I don't see God." Somebody looks at the universe and can't help but think of Jesus or God. Um, I think the the universe, like everything else, draws out of us what we believe um, and, and shows us the difference between belief and unbelief. I mean, this is what God says in Romans 1, right? That uh, through what he has made, he has revealed himself to all of us. And so, but anyway, that was kind of tangential, Wayne. Uh, we need to, uh, we've got a lot of people waiting to hear about uh, what you uh, postponed here till the second half of the broadcast. <laughs> and that is this uh, Lord of the Rings-like planet, this uh, megalodon Saturn, this massive ringed planet that just uh, is, is mind-blowing. So why don't you uh, take it away there, Spencer? Yeah, I like to think of it as Super Saturn. Um, <laughs> so this is a... Uh, Super Saturn. Uh, the star is... The short name for the star is J1407. And that's just part of a longer number that's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, four, J1407b is a planet, an exoplanet that has an incredibly vast ring system around it, far, far bigger than Saturn's. It's like 200 times the size of Saturn's rings. And uh, so when they were observing this, uh, this little paragraph here I'll read from the people who were observing this. They said, we soon concluded that something very fast and very big must be eclipsing a J1407 and making it flicker. The speed of the brightness fluctuations suggested that the eclipsing object was racing in front of the star's face at 30 kilometers per second. 
and yet the eclipse itself lasted for 56 days. This long duration meant that the object was some 180 million kilometers in size. 180, 180 million kilometers? Yes. All right, I'm trying to get my head around this distance here. Okay, so keep talking, and I will find the distance in miles here. So uh, this is really, really big, and um, so keep in mind that what they see is the star, and they they normally would see just one dip in the light from the star when the f- planet passes in front of the star, but in this case, there were the the uh, the light would be blocked over and over and over and over for 56 days. And so it would be rapidly changing. The The light from the star was being uh, rapidly fluctuating because of the rings that were blocking it. Okay, I got the, I got the lowdown on the number here. You ready for this? Okay. This, this for our non-meter and kilometer-meter-minded people like myself, here's the ring system in miles. Ready? Drum roll if we had a drum roll. Okay. 111,846,814.603 miles. I don't I can't even conceive of that. Uh, it's it's a lot. That's just crazy. <laughs> That's like a giant sombrero. <laughs> It's huge. The artist's drawings of this show what looks like a, uh, okay, the vast rings with a small planet in the center. Yeah, you can't even see the planet. But but really, the the planet would not be a small planet, Dan. It has to be huge. It's probably at least 10 times the size of Jupiter and could be much bigger than that. Uh, it's a big planet. It looks like the artist renditioning. Now we don't have a real. Do we have a real picture of this, or no, is it all no, artistry? No, we, can, we can't just, get a real picture. All we can do is see how the rings block the light of gotcha. the star. So we're we're looking at what an artist's conception would be, based on the way this planet blocks out the light of the star that it passes in front of. So this this picture, though, the the artist renditions look like uh, frisbees. I mean, just super cosmic frisbees. It's amazing, but you're right. They have a tiny little dot of a planet in the middle of it, but I'm I'm with you. This thing, to have maintain that ring system, that thing has to be super massive. And there is, uh, there's some articles that um, show what it would look like if, if Saturn had a ring system like this, Dan. Mm. If, if it were, if Saturn were like this, we could see this ring system from Earth in the sky with Saturn in the sky. I've seen a picture of this um, superimposed. I don't know how accurate this would be, but I've seen one picture where they have a picture of the full moon and then they have what this ring system would look like if it was in Saturn's position. And the ring system was so massive um, that it was four or five times the diameter of the moon and super visible in the in the sky if if it was at the distance that saturn is in our own solar system just it's just phenomenal how how large this this ring system is it's it's awesome 
Yeah. So now, one of the challenges with scientists dealing with this is, how did it form? Such an elaborate ring system is huge. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the things that becomes relevant to ring systems is what's called the Roche limit. Um, we've talked about this before, where if <clears throat> if an object like let's talk about the moon and the Earth, if the moon were getting closer and closer to the Earth. There's a distance that if if the moon got within that distance, it would break apart. And because of the tidal forces from Earth, and then the, the material in the moon would form a ring, actually. Well, so this is how they think rings would normally form in many cases. But actually, this doesn't entirely work for Saturn, and it certainly wouldn't work for this super Saturn. Because it's it's way bigger than the Roche limit. Way bigger than the Roche limits. Okay. So, uh, how did this happen? Uh, there are, there's actually many rings, and there's some divisions in the ring. Okay, there's some gaps in the ring, and this and this super Saturn J1407b, it has gaps in the ring, and Saturn has gaps in its rings. Now with Saturn, there are a number of moons. And the moons have, we talked about resonance, Dan, with that other exoplanet. Well, moons are in resonance with each other at Saturn. And the moons around the rings make material sort of get pulled away from certain positions in the rings. And that makes gaps in the rings. So something like that seems to happen for J1407b. There's there's gaps in the ring, so there could be moons. You know, we could we wouldn't be able to see moons, okay? They're way too small. But there's probably some moons there because we know there are gaps. Yeah, yeah, that's phenomenal. That's just and that's just one world, Wayne. And you know, you think if if there are at least one or two planets for every star in our Milky Way galaxy alone, how many more super Saturns are out there with weird things going around it. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is the only exoplanet they found with rings, but this right. is uh, this is the the biggest ring system they've ever seen right. evidence of. It's it's huge, right? right. So, and it raises the question of how did it get there? How uh, did it, it get there? They would probably have to say there was some sort of collisions, maybe <laughs> multiple collisions, that, collisions of uh, the gaps, right? Yes. <laughs> well, the, you know, you keep running into this idea that this collided and this collided and this exploded and that exploded and this collided. And then, you know, you, you think, well, how in the world do all of these collisions add up to such regular, brilliant, what seems very precise, as we talked about last episode, um, this regular, precise beauty? I mean, just this order. That you're going to say over and over again, this exploded, that crashed, this exploded, and that crashed. Yet look at how orderly and arranged this is. I mean, if it was just explosions and chaos, Wayne, we wouldn't be so fascinated with the arrangement, the peculiar arrangement of the cosmos, these rings in general. And that's what cosmos means. That's what the Greek word means is order or arrangement. And you know what John says, John, John's opening into his gospel in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, 
that is Jesus, the Logos, the Word, and apart from him, this is what always trips me up in, in trying to say it, apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So, so everything that exists in the physical world has been passed through and has come through and has been created through and for Christ. So, you know, this ring system, I mean, who knows what, what I mean, God just seems to delight in being creative, you know? I mean, who knows? Yeah. On this, Dan, uh, one thing I should point out is this exoplanet is actually not confirmed. It was discovered in 2012, and the rings are elaborate, but there needs to be more uh, research on this. And this is the kind of thing that I'm sure scientists will be working on trying to do computer simulations of to see what they can learn. So I think it's good. To, it's a good thing to kind of watch the news and see what else they discover about this. Yeah, so right now the best theory is rings. Could be a lot of dust, maybe? Do you think that it, it might be no, something else? No, it's definitely got to be rings, I think. But Okay, okay. But they don't know much about the planet yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's, it's the fifth verse in, in John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness, Wayne, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So these wonderful yeah, things shine in the darkness, Wayne, and we're just kind of left scratching our heads. <laughs> so what what is the real significance of what we are seeing? What is this? You know, and uh, uh, yes. it is. Uh, I think it's the proverb that says it is a glory. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it is the glory of kings to find it out. Something like that. I think I'm paraphrasing. Yes, that. but I think that's what the cosmos is: is just God concealing things. You know, maybe for the sheer delight of our, our our being able to discover them. You know, I mean, that seems to be. I mean, it's astronomy, cosmology, and physics has has employed a lot of people. A lot of people have full time jobs from looking up at the heavens and uh, and wondering about them and studying them and uh, marveling at them, which is what we like to do here at Good Heavens. So, um, fantastic uh, episodes on exoplanets, and we spent uh, a lot of time just talking about four of them. Yeah, and if people want to go back and listen to the the early ones, we had two, at least two programs on exoplanets. Yeah, uh, yeah, back, yeah. Uh, Would have been 2017, I think. But on on Podbean, uh, Podbean didn't start. We didn't have Podbean for a while, so right, it was right. December 2018 that it was on Podbean. Okay, okay. So you can go back and check out uh, Wayne's Worlds. And our silly introduction to that podcast. <laughs> yeah, we we were sort of uh, more amateurish, I guess. Yeah, we hadn't, uh, we, and I wasn't working for Watchmen. I didn't have access to a great uh, set of sound effects and uh, and music beds and all of that. So uh, we've uh, Watchmen being with Watchmen has helped uh, helped our podcast to improve. And uh, I was so silly back then with our. Uh, I mean, who knows what we were going to do with it, but. I had that fake British accent. Uh, good heavens! <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that one though. That was fun. It was fun. Uh, so those, are, if you haven't, if you're new to Good Heavens, you need to go back and listen to the archives uh, when I was a little bit sillier. I mean, definitely, I'm st- yeah. Still the same silly person I was. We had some that. good programs in the early, but those ones. were uh, were some good ones. Yeah, I remember uh, one of them. I, we were spraying an aerosol can for something. I forgot what it was. Oh yeah, it was a. Star I think formation. that was star formation. Right, yeah. that was at your house. And, yeah, uh, we we had our little sound effect. We uh, we need to go back to our old school <laughs> and do uh, a coffee shop live to do old school again, like we did. 
Uh, that would be fun. Need to do a, a coffee shop uh, episode here soon. That would be nice. Um, if you uh, have anything, listener friends, that uh, you'd like Wayne and I to talk about, uh, please drop us a line at psalm, P-S-A-L-M, 1968 at gmail.com, and we will respond to you if you have a topic or something of interest, a constellation, a star, a planet, uh, something in the field of cos- cosmology and astronomy you'd like Wayne and I to muse about. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you and uh, hear how you're enjoying the podcast. Give us a good review on on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcasts. It's always nice to have good feedback and uh, let us know what you think. And um, we thank you for those of you that are supporting us on Patreon and those of you that are supporting us through Podbean. Uh, it's been a great, uh, Wayne, it'll be, gosh, six years this September was our first episode in 2017 where we recorded it uh, in Plano at a studio. And uh, we, yes. we did two episodes. We did Jupiter and we did uh, the lunar eclipse. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were our first two episodes. And um, we didn't know where it was going to go. But here we are six years later, still rocking and rolling. So uh, yep. great episodes. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed them. And I, I mean, there's so much more that we could certainly talk about uh but we try to yeah now yeah and now we're out there on uh over 40 different platforms yes and uh a lot i'm not sure how many countries but there's a number of nations that get our podcasts and it's it's often not a big number but of, of downloads but we're glad for the people we have and we have a good number of listeners in canada and um, some in britain we have uh, I found out recently we have a good number of listeners on the island of Fiji, which is Fiji. Uh, kind of interesting. They're, well, they're, hello, they're, friends in Fiji. Nice to have you along. Yes. So <laughs> we, we have people out there in surprising places sometimes listening That's to us. That's great. That's great. And uh, I uh, appreciate all the data that you send me occasionally and letting us know where we're, uh, people are picking us up. Um, so uh, anyway, if you if you have a friend, uh, believer, unbeliever, interested in science and faith issues, uh, share good heavens with them. We um, would love to uh, get more listeners and uh, grow our audience a little bit. But uh, Wayne, we will be uh, thinking about uh, new topics for this summer. We have something exciting coming up. I already have lined up. Going to have an interview with uh, Reasons to Believe cosmologist Jeff Zwierink. He will be joining me in July, um, here in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be talking about his book, Is There Life Out There? And so we'll be talking about Jeff, talking with Jeff about uh, alien life, what what might be out there, what's not out there. You know, a great, robust discussion about uh, aliens. Uh, Jeff's great. He's very wonderful, down-to-earth, can explain things really easily. He is a staff cosmologist with... Hugh Ross and uh, Reasons to Believe out in California. And uh, so he'll be joining us next month to talk about his book. So if you'd like to get ahead of that, uh, get Jeff's book. It was came out in 2017, I believe, published by Reasons to Believe. Uh, is there life out there? Mm-hmm. Jeff Swearing will be our guest on Good Heavens next month. A lot of good stuff coming your way this summer, and uh, we thank you for listening. And so, Wayne, we will see you right here next time on... Good heavens. Good heavens.
Secret Heavens is a production of Watchman Fellowship Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. For more information on apologetics, cults, world religions, and our sister podcast, Apologetics Profile, visit watchman.org.